<laughs> Lord Chips don't let the salad win. That's the message uh, in terms of uh, nature of the food, maybe, that uh, we consume in Wales compared to the Italians. But it's the Italians who will restart. This is the Eat More Chips podcast. Grab your bag of chips, salt, vinegar, perhaps a battered sausage or a dirty pie, a bit of sauce cork on the side, and let's go! Hello, and welcome to the Eat More Chips podcast, the official podcast for one of the most recognisable flags in the Welsh football supporters universe. Well, Daz is on his holly bobs this week, smearing on drizzle oil in Gurnus on Sea, but our Cymru sat link is working, and by the magic of the Bard network, we can hear him paddling in fresh sewage. How's that ice cream, Daz? Yep, pretty tasty, thanks, mate. Yeah, as we prepare to go off on our proper hauls, uh, spending a couple of days up north, actually, which includes uh, uh, a visit to Anfield. Uh, check out the mighty impressive new stand. Uh, but yeah, all is good. Uh, yeah, thanks. And in a week when Hugh Jackman was the latest celebrity to tour the Stoke Kairas, we say hello to our very own out-of-tune Jean Valjean to my Javert. It's Jamie! Can't imagine for one second you're going to get that reference, Jamie. Nope, not a clue. But before I say anything else, uh, I just want to speak to the HR department, please, because Daz has more holidays than Boris Johnson. <laughs> and I need, to, uh, I need to know what the terms are of this gig, because I've not had any holidays, and yet he's had three now. Something's not right. But his his contribution is so key that he needs that amount of time off to get that massive brain of his, you know, in tip top condition. Whereas your mushy Tupperware box full of nothing, you know, doesn't need much time off, does it? Are you calling me thick? <laughs> no, not at all. Well, an interesting week to start the season, to say the least. And we'll get more into that later in the pod. But Jamie, I just wanted to draw your attention to the press release by the club last Friday that the shareholding in Wrexham AFC Limited has been transferred from R.R. McReynolds Company LLC to Wrexham Holdings LLC. And Wrexham Holdings LLC is 100% owned by the R.R. McReynolds Company. Very short statement on the club uh, website, very to the point, uh, but a little bit kind of Time time to bury bad news feel about it for me. I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe I always get a bit jittery when things like this are released, a bit under the radar. Um, and no one at all on social media seems to be talking about it, uh, about what's uh, obviously what's been happening in the past. Do you think it's anything that we need to be worried about, or is this just kind of just crossing the T's and dotting the I's? Uh, well, as we've just discussed, my mushy brain didn't really know what was going on, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, like, like you said, it was a bit of a strange... It's a bit of a strange statement, uh, kind of out of the blue and, and no real context. Very short, very to the point. Um, from the little bit I've uh, researched or found out about it, um, I don't think it's anything sinister. I think it's just uh, a kind of a, a legitimate business move. I don't think there's anything sinister, but I totally get where you're coming from. There's that, that, that you, you know, as as old school Wrexham fans you're all, we're always a little bit uh, wary of anything like this aren't we because we, we, we just feel like we're going to be crapped on again like we have in the past but I, I don't honestly believe that that's the case so uh, yeah I'm not reading anything into it I mean maybe I'm just being a little bit jittery but obviously with it being as well the anniversary uh, since the, all the fans banded together and raised the £100,000 plus that the club needed at that point to play in the league I always get a little bit worried when the legal things are sort of bubbling around the background and unless you are you know into into business wizardry you're never quite sure what the terminology means no you, you you're right and i and like i said i understand why why we we would all you know we would all probably look at it and get a little bit skeptical but 
Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned there the the kind of anniversary this week of of, of um, you know of, of that those dark times, and it's actually, <clears throat> in some ways, it's been a nice, it's been a nice little reminder about why we deserve what's happening to us as a football club now, because it's, you know a lot of people have shared um, you know Facebook memories of posts they did at the time, you know basically saying, listen, we need to raise raise this money in the next 24 hours. If we don't, we're going to lose our club forever. And and you forget, I think you, you, people don't forget, or the, the, the long-term fans don't forget, but you sometimes overlook the significance of that time and, and the fact of everybody coming together like they did. Um, you know, we wouldn't have a club if it wasn't for that. Wrexham opened their League 2 campaign on Saturday to a packed Stoke Kairas versus MK Dons. Hopes were high as the Red Dragons marched onto the field and it was a slightly unexpected starting lineup with from Parkinson with Foster in goal, a back three of O'Connell, Tozer and O'Connor, Barnett and Mendy on the wings, James Jones, Cannon and Lee in midfield and Dolby and Waters up front. Although MK Dons have struggled since April, they started the stronger, playing a fast press and physical game. Wrexham in contrast looked leggy at times and in a state of minor panic with a number of overpasses and playing the ball away from players' feet. This lack of cohesion resulted in the MK Don's first goal. A free kick from the left from Robson was played into the box at pace. O'Connell tried to clear it but headed it into his own net unopposed. Wrexham 1-0 down. Wrexham continued to have large spells with the ball but couldn't seem to do anything with it. The MK Don's defence crowded out Waters and Dolby meaning there were very few opportunities and only four minutes later in the 10th minute when Issa managed to get through six Wrexham defenders crowded around him to slot it past Foster in for a 2-0 lead. Wrexham huffed and puffed a fair bit but the finesse let them down and they often broke down in midfield. That said, Wrexham did pull a goal back in the 42nd minute, Barnett crossed into the box for Billy Waters to shoot, the ball was parried into the path of Jacob Mendy who smashed it in for a half-time score of Wrexham 1, MK Dons 2. Wrexham came out for the second half with a bit more energy as we can only imagine the parky enthusiasm meter was at 110% but the flourish just wasn't there and MK Dons scored a third on 51 minutes. Cannon lost the ball in midfield for Lecco to take it and slot it low to the right of Foster. Wrexham won, MK Dons 3. 61 minutes and Parkey made three substitutions. Oli Palmer, Jake Bickerstaff and Jordan Davis came on for Cannon, Dolby and Waters. The substitutes brought on fresh energy, but on 64 minutes, Lecco was slipped a pass, beating the defence and chipping it over Foster. Wrexham won, MK Dons 4. Wrexham tried to pick up the pace, and shots by Palmer and Jordan Davis came close, but on 82 minutes, Lee into the box, deflected to Hosanna, who squared it to Davis, and on the edge of the box, who rifled the ball in to score his first goal in the Football League. Wrexham 2, MK Dons 4. Wrexham tried for the last 10 minutes to make this a close tie, but Harvey on 94 minutes was allowed to run right into the box and calmly swished it past Foster, almost unopposed, for 2-5. Ford got a consolation in the 96th minute, but the damage was done, and the game ended Wrexham 3, MK Dons 5, in front of 10,205 in the Stoke racecourse. Jamie, a disappointing game. Give us your thoughts on what you think went wrong. Right, Christ, where do you start with Saturday? Um. Yeah, I mean you've 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 given a, a great high level sort of summary of, of, of the key moments of the game. Um it, it was a strange one, wasn't it? I mean, I don't you know, no nobody you know, obviously not us on here or anybody that I'd read beforehand or listened to beforehand kind of predicted a, a hugely high scoring game. Um and I and I think it yeah, it caught us caught us out. Um, you know, I've heard lots of 
you know different different phrases used uh, this week. Um, I I would say it was it, it, I would say it was probably um, quite a, a useful exercise for us. Not not a not a shock to the system um, as as such, or or a, you know a, a kind of a, um, wake up call or anything like that as such. I just think it was. I think we needed that. I think we needed that sort of reminder about what we've got ahead of us this season. Um, as you said, starting lineup was was kind of we 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 were all a bit perplexed by it. Um, the thing that I was most disappointed about more than anything else was seeing Tom O'Connor back, you know, in defence again. Which mm. I, I understand why Parky does it. You know, he he obviously favours that left side, left footed player on the left side. Um, I, I appreciate obviously. Uh, Boyle, uh, Boyle, Tony Cliff were injured. <clears throat> the one that got me was was Hayden. You know, now he was on the bench, and you know, I, I know he's he's got carrying a knock or whatever. But you have to ask that rhetorical question, don't you? If he's fit enough to be on the bench, is he not fit enough to start the game? Even if you can't get ninety minutes out of him, it, you know, if he, if he's injured, if he, if he's injured to the point where you won't, don't want to risk him, why put him on the bench? Particularly when you've got Max Clough who. That that is his position. So, I I think I you know I understand where what Parky was trying to do, but I think it backfired on him a little bit because we we massively missed Tom O'Connor, um in the middle. Um, I think you know a, a lot of our players just had off days, didn't they? They they were nowhere near their best. Um, I think overall for me Saturday was. You know, I, I've tried not to get it, buy into the whole, um, you know, the American tour wasn't the best preparation and all that. I've tried not to buy into that because I genuinely thought we, you know, physically we, we, we that did offer us quite a decent preparation. Um, but after Saturday, after what I saw on Saturday and then also listening to Ben Foster's podcast this week when he was talking quite in depth about the tour. And I, I don't think what any of us realised was how much traveling and moving around the states they had to do you know he was talking about 4am wake up calls and having to fly from east to west which is like six hours on a plane and obviously having to go to this event and that event and it sounded like a very tiring um uh, a tour to be honest with you so i you know look lessons to be learned for, for next time i'm not gonna i'm not gonna blame it all on that at all but i think what saturday showed was what that we've gone into this season probably a little bit under under prepared physically um and MK Dons, I think, shocked us all. You know, they were, they were well organised. They were well drilled. They were a very physical side. You know, as soon as they came out, you you looked across the line and you thought, wow, they're they're a big, tall, strong looking team. Um, they they pressed everything all through the game from front to back. Everything they didn't give give us a minute anywhere on the pitch. Um, you know, we lost the ball countless times in midfield, which I think was partly down to. Poor, poor, you know, uh, lack of sharpness on our on our players' parts, and partly down to, like I say, their their really good pressing game. Um, but the one kind of headline from them was was going back to what I said a few weeks ago about my my one little concern of for our team, which is I I fear speed is our kryptonite, and I think we saw that firsthand on Saturday because. Um, uh, Leko and, uh, and and Issa up front for them absolutely tore us a new one all through the game. Um, so so yeah, it was uh, it, it obviously not the best of starts, but hey, look, it, it okay, it was a defeat, but it was a defeat in the football league, and and you know it was a, a valuable lesson. It was minutes in the legs of a lot of players, and I think a lot of lessons to to be learned. 
um, and we've got, we've got to try and look at and take the positives out of it. Did any did any particular players just looking at Saturday first? Did any particular players disappoint you? Uh, <laughs> I think you're probably probably better off asking me. Did any players uh, stand out for me? Because I think it would be hard. I think you would be quite uh, it would be quite cruel to pick out individuals. I think all of the team probably would admit they weren't at their best. Okay, then, so who who stood out for you then? Well, th- this is what I was just going to say. To to be fair, the fact that Jordan Davis came on and only played half an hour, I think was it half an hour, 35 minutes of, of, of the second half, and was man of the match. Yeah. And probably, yes. right, and probably rightly so. That tells you everything you need to know. Yes, yeah. He came on 60, 60 minutes, so yeah, you only had half an hour on the on the field. Yeah, yeah I mean, Bar- Barney uh, was okay in the first half. Um but I think uh, I think you could go through the whole team and you could you could question you could question them all on Saturday. And I don't want to be overly critical and and point fingers and oh you know they're this and they're that because it's very early in the season. They are quality players. They had off games, but I you know I think um, you know if 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 you were, if you were just for discussion's sake picking out a few which which really stood out to me. Um, uh, Foster, which I actually wanted to ask you about in a second, so Foster is one we'll come back to in a second. Um, I don't think uh, you know none of the, none of the back three uh, had a particularly great game. Gave the ball away. I say look very very susceptible against the pace. Um, the midfield, Cannon and Jones in particular, gave the ball away an awful lot. Mendy gave the ball away an awful lot, and and up front, you know, we started with Dolby and and, and Waters. But I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't Palmer, and I don't think you know. Again, I mean, Waters had the shot that created our first goal at the end of that first half, which gave us a little bit of hope. But you know, I think that was the only bit of hope we had. Um, but like I say, Waters had that shot which the keeper parried, and then Mendy put it in. But other than that, uh, and and obviously, you know, Waters runs around. He's very quick, and he's very you know, he he makes a bit of a nuisance of himself, but. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, this this being a lot of talk about another striker. Apparently, we were looking at a striker even before Mullen got injured. We hadn't signed anybody going into the season, and I and I again, I was quite of the opinion of I wasn't overly concerned because I, I thought we had enough. But again, after Saturday, and this is not this is not just because of Saturday. It just kind of it it gave me a kind of visual representation of what I was already thinking, which is I, I think we are a bit short up there. Um, you know, Palmer for me at the moment, he, when he came on uh, and on Tuesday night was very good. I think Bickerstaff is very busy and there's definitely a player in there. But I have to be honest, I, I personally think he would benefit massively from a season in the National League. I, I think if we can get somebody else in, it would be great to see Bickerstaff go out on loan to a National League side. You know, a fairly local national league side. Hopefully, you know, you know, probably not going to hold them now because they got Norwood, but you know, Altingham somewhere like that, where he can go and have a good season starting and hopefully get a few goals. I genuinely think he'll benefit. I just don't as 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 busy as he looks when he plays for us, and I just it's just something I can't put my finger on. It's something just not. I don't think he's quite there yet. Um, you know, Waters. I mean, he hasn't really had a chance yet. As he, you know, we we you don't want to write him off because you know we, we he played fifteen minutes against Torquay last game of the season. He's had a little bit of pre season and he he's played. He didn't play Tuesday and he played what was it sixty minutes on on Saturday. But again, I'm not sure he's the answer either. The one the one I'm I was a little bit 
surprised at is, is, is Dolby really because I don't know there's 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 something about the way he plays that I just I don't I wouldn't say I don't like it but he's a young lad and and you'd think given the fact that Mullins out you'd think he'd be buzzing and harrying and running his socks off all around the pitch and I'm not saying he doesn't run his socks off but he if you watch him play he almost he almost sort of jogs around a bit lethargically you know if you look at the way Palmer is for example he, he's not as in, he's not as um, intense as Palmer is and I just find that a bit strange but obviously that's his game that's his game but uh, yeah you know you, you you could you could say uh, you you could say all of the players on Saturday didn't didn't do themselves any favors, um, uh, but you know I don't I don't want to sort of slate any one in particular. It was just an off day. And you mentioned obviously Foster. You know there were there was talk that Foster didn't actually get off the plane until Wednesday, missed training Thursday, which meant that basically he was back with the team the day before after being at, on that grueling US tour. I mean that's. That's not enough time, really, is it? No, uh, I mean that that was sort of public knowledge before the game, wasn't it? It kind of came out, and he, he kind of confirmed it, like I say on his when I listened to his podcast this week. But I I wanted to just ask you generally about Foster, and and, and look, this is this is not me trying to start a witch hunt or anything like that. I you know the guy is a Premier League, ex Premier League, ex England international. There's no doubt in his his ability and his you know and and his um, you know his attitude and everything else but do you think we've got a bit caught up in the romance of ben foster if you if you isolate his games that he's played for us and take out the Notts county penalty save do you think we've got a little bit um do you think we've got a little bit caught up in the whole romance of it is is he is he is he the best keeper or you know has he performed at, to you know, to to a standard that you thought or you think is is good enough. I think uh, taking Saturday as an example, I think it's an unfortunate way to judge him. I mean, any keeper that you know that gets five past him, there's always you know some some questions that need to be asked. Although, as you rightly said, the, the defense was was fairly poor on Saturday, so. There were a number of things he couldn't. I mean, was he was he to blame for any of the goals? No, he don't. I don't think he was. Mm, I, 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 well, hang 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 on, hang, hang on again. Again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Like I say, I'm not. I'm, this is. Like I say, this is absolutely not me saying that I don't think Ben Foster should be starting in goal for us. This is just. Uh, I'm curious to just talk about it because I, I I've I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to take. I'm trying to look at the, the the games he's played. Obviously, I've watched pretty much all the games he's played for us since he. Join the club back at back to the club. Take the Notts County penalty save out of it, and he has made some decent saves. But he's a goalkeeper; that's his job. There have been lots of lots of goals he's conceded that I look at and I think should he have done better. And if you take Saturday for example, you say he wasn't to blame for any of the goals. I I have to slightly disagree with you, right? So if you watch the first one back, Owen O'Connell's own goal, if you watch it back, I actually would say that is Foster's fault more than O'Connell's, because O'Connell is watching the ball coming into the box and he's conscious of the defence or the attacker attacking the ball. He's relying on the goalkeeper giving him a call to say if if the ball can be left, which it could be because the attacker didn't attack the ball. So O'Connell's not to know that. And if you watch it back, you almost see, for a very split second, you almost see, or you see Foster put his hand up as if he's acknowledging to O'Connell 
that it was his mistake. I personally think, my, my from playing the game, you know, in years gone by and looking back on it a few times, I personally would say that's more Foster's fault than O'Connell's. If if I'm being honest with you, that, I would say that was probably the only one he was to blame for directly. But then I would question a couple of the others. Could he have done better? I certainly question whether he can get down quicker, and that's obviously being forty years old. You're you're not going to be as quick as somebody in their late twenties or even early thirties. So I I I question maybe his reaction time is slightly less, and that might make a difference. There were a couple of those goals where I mean, particularly the last one, he didn't even try. Didn't just stood there and watch watch it past him, so you know didn't even attempt to to save it. So it, let me put it this way: he's he's played you know last season eight eight games for us. Uh, is that enough to make an assessment? I mean, Halifax was appalling. It was, but that again, that was a that was a dreadful performance all round. I think, but he did not. Uh, he did not shine in glory, that's for sure. And it's interesting because I think if Howard would have been in goal for that game, he would have. I think he would have got a lot more criticism from social media than Foster did at the time. And I think there is probably a little bit of romanticism because it is Foster. I, I, I'm just, I'm, like I said, I don't want this to sound like a witch hunt because it's really not. You know, I, I've got a lot of respect. You can't have anything but respect for, for him. And for me, he'll, he'll forever go down as a hero for that for that penalty save, if nothing else. Um, it's just a. It's just got me thinking. You know, watching Saturday, uh, looking back on some of the games that he did play for us last year, and and I, I I'd say it's just that have we got have we got a bit caught up of the kind of romance side of it, and ultimately it's such a crucial position on the field, um, you know, and not not and the other thing as well to to, to, to of, of note really, and the other reason why I bring it up is his distribution as well. Again on Saturday, if you watch. Watch. I mean, obviously, I, I've watched the highlights back a couple of times, but if you watch the full game back, you if you check out his distribution, he he didn't half give the ball away a lot when the ball was at his feet or make you know the the, the it's just I don't know. I'm 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 a bit concerned at the moment because I'm not 100% convinced that that goalkeeping position is right. Oh no, I I think you're absolutely. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, from Saturday, if the guys got off the plane. 72 hours before the game and didn't train with the guys uh, 24 until 24 hours before, I think there's a certain amount there where you can say he's not quite sharp because he'll have been away from the players for a, num- for a number of times. Let's not forget, he only played you know 45 minutes pretty much a match while he was on the American tour. So he didn't get full he didn't get full 90 minutes anyway. So he, I don't think he's fully up to speed as a lot of the players weren't fully up to speed. Uh, the goalkeeper position absolutely is not sorted. Foster is not the answer and, uh, and um, Howard is not the answer. Uh, and Leighton uh, isn't even given a chance at the moment. He wasn't given a chance on Tuesday. He wasn't given a chance on Saturday. Suppose supposedly he's injured again. I don't think it's been. I don't think it's been one hundred percent confirmed. But apparently, there's the the rumor is that he's got a, a knee injury again. I mean, if that's the case, that is incredibly unfortunate for him because he has worked hard over the summer to try and get his fitness up. And and certainly, I think if he's injured again, I think that would be his kind of, you know full stop on on his career with Wrexham because I can't see you know I mean there are there were there was talk today of us you know um bidding for um a goalkeeper from the Irish leagues uh yeah, I've seen that. and so there's been a number of things so no I don't think it, I don't think it, Foster is not the answer I, I will be interested to see how we move on um for the rest of the season and see how much Foster starts and 
and how much he he gets involved before I want to make an absolute judgment. He's 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 certainly not been blowing the the position away. That's for sure. I I think it's important to say though, you know, I I bring this up just purely because I find it quite a fascinating debate. You know, you you know me, I I'm not no matter what happens, I'm not going to be one of these that's screaming, you know, you this that and the other. It's um, you know, I'll support the, the players whoever it is, but I suppose that's you know freedom of speech and everything else. And I I just it's just something that's made me think, and particularly after Saturday's performance, I think it's uh, I think it's important. I think I'm, I think it's quite an interesting debate. Well, Daz, we said last week, beware the wounded animal. And MK Dons were clinical, but not spectacular, organised, but not efficient, and created few chances, but did take them. Wrexham's defence looked non-existent at times. Is this something Wrexham fans should be worried about? I'm not sure. I think it's the first game of the season. I think had this been uh, game two, three and four all performing the same, then I think you've got a point where you then have to start getting a little bit more concerned. But one game in... Um, the friendlies have passed, that's fine. This is where it matters now. But I just think we're just seeing another level. We're just seeing the difference between the National League and the and uh, and League Two. It's it, there's there's a step up, and I think uh, Wrexham have too consistently relied on the fact that you might score lots of goals, but we'll score at least one more than you uh, with their firepower has got them out of many a scrape. But I think uh, I think that there is more of a a need for the defence to play a part. Uh, you say there were moments, like you said, with the six players around the, you know, for the second goal. I mean, the six players around one player, and he still wriggles through. That's just not acceptable. Uh, but it was the moments where they got themselves back into the game, like a two-one, and then to let it go again. You know, let that advantage or that that momentum slip was just a bit disappointing. And then also. What I did like, though, at the end of the game was that they still kept playing. That last, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, the consolation goal, it it it, it showed some spirit to me. I felt that there was uh, a real desire and a passion to get back in and at least give the fans something to be more uh, positive about. So there were good signs as well as bad signs. But um, if this is a conversation we're having again next week, and the week after, then then I think the Wrexham fans should be a little bit more worried. Jamie, some fans on social media were criticising the US tour that you spoke about earlier, saying the team looked jet-lagged, and even Phil Parkinson in his post-match interviews intimated that the team were lacking in minutes. Is this criticism justified, do you think? I think after what we saw on Saturday, it's hard to say it's not justified, but, but like I, I, I said before, I think... One of the main reasons for the American tour was the commercial element, and I think that was a roaring success. However, that can never, ever be at the expense of the football on the pitch. And I think at the moment, for, for this tour, that's possibly what's happened. Um, so, we, but we need to, you know, look, we, I, I, I'm going to assume that the America, American tour potentially now is going to be an annual thing. But the club, and they just need to learn lessons, and I'm pretty sure Parky would have fed something similar back to them you know, we need to we need to look at it needs to be done a little bit earlier or spread out a little bit more or whatever it is, I don't know. But um certainly when you looked at MK Dons and how they played and how they um you know, navigated that game on Saturday versus us and when you, you look at some of our players, the likes of you know, James Jones, Tozer, um, you know, uh Cannon, Mendy, whoever you can go through the whole team. They they just didn't look 
fully at it. They looked a little bit off the pace. Um, and, and like you said, Parky kind of made a nod to it himself in, in, in his press conference. So, you know, I, again, I don't want to slag the American tour off because it, it's important, you know, for this machine to grow, as we talked about before, it's, you know, that America, you know, certainly in America, it's, it's an important part of this cog in the wheel of growing this machine. Um, but like I said, it can never, ever be at the expense of what's going on on the pitch. And that's where they've got to try and find this balance, I think. Well, Wrexham tried to put this result behind them three days later with a first-round Carabao Cup tie against Wigan Athletic. Wrexham started the game with eight changes from the game versus MK Dons. Howard in goal instead of Foster and a back three of Cloweth on the right, toes in the centre, and O'Connell had been moved from the right to the left. Ford on the right wing, McFadden on the left. Luke Young made a long-awaited return in midfield with James Jones and Jordan Davis in midfield and Ollie Palmer and Jake Bickerstaff up front. This match was polar opposites to the previous match, with Wrexham looking more assured and in control. Some good movement, pinpoint passing and physicality marshalled Wigan, and although Wigan had more of the possession, Wrexham had the better chances, with Bickerstaff and McFadden missing some fairly open goals, with others coming very close. Wigan did enough, but didn't really threaten in the first half, and the score stayed 0-0 at half-time. Second half continued as the first, but Wrexham started to fade in the last 20 minutes. Substitutions Mendy on for McFadden on 58 minutes, O'Connor on for Davis on 66 minutes, and Barnett, Dolby and Lee moved to a striker position again on 73 minutes for Ford, Palmer and Bickerstaff. Wrexham played better, but like Wigan, couldn't finish, and so the game ended 0-0. Penalties and Luke Young, Elliot Lee, Tom O'Connor and Som Dolby all stepped up and took superb penalties to score, due in part apparently to the squad practising them the day before. Wigan took their first two penalties, but Hughes and Asgard both blasted their penalties over the bar for Wrexham to win 4-2 on penalties and go through to the next round. Jamie, the lights were bright at the Stoke Kairas, and what was your view on this game? Oof, were they bright? I came back with a tan. Um, <laughs> those... Yeah, those new lights are epic. You know, and and in all seriousness, make a massive difference. When I mean, I don't know how it came across on t- on the on the TV, but when you see them in in the you know um, when you're actually in in the flesh, the difference it makes to 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 the to the um, to the pitch, and the, obviously the light on the pitch is unbelievable. Because I mean, you you'll remember that insert like in the corners, it, it was almost almost like dark spots mm. in the corners previously. Whereas this yep. was just like it was yeah, it was great. Those lights were great. Yeah. Uh, like you say, a lot of changes, um, <clears throat> but a, a much, much better performance. I think, you know, with, with the changes, it, the, you know, people say, you know, he said he was going to make a lot of changes, but we don't have a second string team anymore. You know, we have a we have a deep squad and all of the squad can contribute something. And I think that's what we saw on Tuesday night. You know, I think the changes were, 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 were good. Um some you know some definite highlights you know with regards to players um you know we talked about goalkeepers a minute ago i think to be fair to howard he didn't have an awful lot to do no he, he was pretty very, much spectator wasn't he yeah but he looked very assured with what he did have to do his distribution was 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 good um so you know i i, I think that was that was good the back three better much much better you know toes is that linchpin there isn't he um it was great to see max back in the team uh and to be fair i thought he had a really really good game 
um, as did O'Connell, and I think it was you know it was good to see O'Connell playing on that left side because it goes to show he can play on that left side should should we need him to. Um, it almost makes, like I said, Saturday a little bit even more of a head scratcher the fact that that Max came in because you think to yourself if you've got Max there and he's fit, why would you play a midfielder in defence and when you've got a centre back who can play? So, yeah, um, those three were 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 good. Um, I thought uh, I thought Fordy played very well. As much as I love Barney, I think Fordy's played very well. Uh, and when he came on on Saturday, he played well. Um, in the in the middle, I think you know uh, uh, Jordan Davis uh, had a decent game. To be fair, um, the one in the in the midfield though was was young. Oh I mean, yes, what you know. We we obviously are not privy to it because we we don't know what's said behind closed doors and everything else, but from what we can see from the outside, if you looked up the word professional in the dictionary, you'd see a picture of him. Totally, because he just seems to come across as, you know, he he is he 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 understands his role and responsibility as a captain of the club. He understands his role and responsibility as a member of the squad. He's. He does what's asked for him, asked of him. If he if he's not picked or he's not on the bench, he doesn't seem to moan about it. He gets on with it. He works hard, and he he's he's there when called upon. And I think he came back in on Tuesday night, and for me, properly reminded, uh, not that they needed reminding, but properly reminded Parky um, and and the, and the coaching staff. And and as a supporters, exactly what we've got there in Luke Young, and as 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 stacked as we've got in the midfield in our squad and some quality midfielders you know he has definitely got a job and a role to play for us this season um you know he he's he's busy he puts a shift in you know he, he's good on the ball he's better a lot better on the ball than some people give him credit for and i think the one thing that he does give us which we totally forget is is set piece delivery yeah, yeah. now I love Elliot Lee. I love the bones of the man. Um, and he can do pretty much anything. But the one thing he's not very good at is corners. No. Nope. And to be fair, you give it to Luke Young and every corner is a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, so so he, that was another stark reminder of, of what he brings to the team. Um, and then obviously up front, you know, Palmer had a very good game. I think he got man of the official man of the match. Yeah, I personally would, would have give it to Young with Palmer a close second, but I, I think you know picking it picking Palmer was not um, was was fine. Um, he, you know I thought he had a very good game. He made a nuisance of himself. He's looking trim and he's looking fit and he's looking you know sharp. I think he he, he desperately could do with some goals just to get his confidence up. And then obviously our big staff alongside him, which you know again just I can only reiterate what I said before he was busy uh, you know he made a use of himself he held the ball up very well mm-hmm. um you know he had that chance that overhead kick uh, quite early on which I mean if that had gone in it would have you know the bloody roof would have come off the place mm. wouldn't it um, yep. but yep. you know it's not quite right uh, but like I say I just I just feel with Bickerstaff I just don't think he's ready yet for for us in the football league I definitely one for the future but I don't think he's quite ready for us yet. But he he did a you know he did a, he did a, a decent job when it when he um uh you know when he started on on Tuesday as he did when he came on on, on Saturday, um and then the subs obviously you know the subs that made the subs um 
I think you know the subs that came on, they 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 continued. You know they continued the the the, the decent performance of, of the side that started. Um, I think you know seeing Elliot Lee go up front, I think just reaffirmed that that's definitely not something that that we should be considering. It's it's that's not his position, and I think he offers way too much in midfield to to be messing around putting him uh, you know up front. I was going to say the fact that he was brought on. And Waters, who was on the bench, wasn't brought on. I mean, should Waters be worried about that? Again, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we don't know what, what we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You know, you're right. You have to look at that, and you have to. You, there's a question, isn't there? There's a question to be answered. And you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute. If you you brought on, you've brought on a creative or slash attacking midfielder, and you've put him up front when you've got a ready-made striker on the bench. Why would you not bring? You know, why would you not bring the striker on? Give him more minutes. So there is a question, but obviously only Parker knows the answer to that. And and uh, you know, I, I don't think you can, I don't think we can be critical of of Billy Waters just yet. You know, they've obviously done their due diligence when they bought him, so they must rate him. And at the minute, you can't. Nobody can say he's had a fair chance. I mean, he's you know, like I say he's had one fifteen minutes at the back end of last season. He's had a tiny bit of preseason, the same as the rest of the squad. Um, he had what sixty minutes on Saturday, and he didn't play on Tuesday. So, I, I I don't know, you know, I don't know what he is to this squad, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, there is a question that they'd raise a question why he wasn't brought on on, on Tuesday. Um, but you know, ultimately, the main thing from Tuesday was it was an improvement, wasn't it? I think I spoke to a lot of people before the game, and and uh, you know, I, I, I went for for a pint before the game. I was chatting to a couple of people, and I think everyone seemed to be in agreement that that. It, they weren't really bothered about the result. Yes, you know, you know, you never want to lose, but nobody was really bothered about the result. We just wanted to see a, a you know better performance and a better standard than we did on Saturday, and we definitely got that. And I think some some of those players that came in on Tuesday have very much put themselves at the forefront for contention for for Saturday. And obviously, four fantastic penalties in the penalty shootout. I mean. You know, always great, obviously, to be at home when it's a penalty shootout. But we—I don't know about you, what your thoughts were—but I just thought we looked very, very relaxed taking our four penalties. I mean, that's that's good to see, isn't it, from Wrexham? Yeah, I I, I hate penalties. I mean, ultimately, there, there, there is no other way to settle the game. I'm 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 very I was very much a fan of the fact that it was uh, no extra time. Uh, and there's no replays because nobody wants to stack games up. So I I like the format that it's 90 minutes. If you can't settle at 90 minutes, it's just settle with penalties. But I just I, I hate penalties. I always have hated penalties. But um, but yeah, uh, confident, competent, accurate. Um, you know, very assured. And in comparison to um, in comparison to um, to to, to a, certainly a couple of uh, of Wigan's, they were they were brilliant. Um, I mean, what was the lad that that missed the the their Missed their key one. Asgard was made to miss the second, miss the last one. Yeah, Thor's uh, Thor's friend. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was that was a terrible penalty. I mean, okay, he's a yeah. young lad. I think he's quite a young lad, but that he's, was. I think he's Liverpool, isn't he? I think he's I think he's on loan from Liverpool. I think. Oh, is he? I oh, I don't, oh, I don't yeah, know. I I, I I I heard somebody say that he is their kind of like one of their star players. Um, but as. Uh, as Simon Cook put on on Twitter, he uh, he superimposed some uh, some uh, rugby post on top of the post because it, it was like a conversion. If you watch it back, it it was nowhere near. It was nowhere near. But uh, hey, look, you can't knock our penalties in the slightest. And hey, look, it's it's a win on penalties or not, and we're through. 
Well, this was the perfect response to the loss uh, versus MK Dons. And obviously, we're back in league action on Saturday. Does this make selection clearer or more difficult for Parkey? Um, in some positions, I would say it probably makes it more difficult for him in, in some ways. I think he's got some quite big decisions to make. But again, it's all hearsay for us, isn't it? Because we don't know the situation with injuries and things. So from what we're hearing, um, regard, like so with regards to centre-back, from what, from what we've heard... From Parky, I think is that I don't, I don't, th- I don't think both Boyle or Hayden will be fit for Saturday. Um, I think he's quashed the rumours about Hayden going to Stoke, hasn't he? I think he is genuinely. He's come out and said that it's, it's he, he's got a slight injury. So if we assume that they're not going to be available for selection, I just hope that it, it, I'd rather him go with Max. I'd rather him go with the three that started on Tuesday, even if he. I know he favours that left footer on the left side, but I'd rather have. Max playing in defence and Owen O'Connell playing, you know, out of position if you want to say that on the left hand side of those three. Apart from anything else, that's that's their role, their position, that's their job. They know what they're doing. But apart from anything else, it means that Tom O'Connor can play in midfield, and that we've got to get him and play him and keep him in the side in midfield because he 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 can be the difference. I think so. That that's the first little headache I think he's got. Um, in the centre for me, uh, as 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 good as um, as good as Jordan Davis was when he came on uh, on Saturday and then on Tuesday, uh, for me Elliot Lee still gets that position uh, certainly at the moment. So so I would expect to see Lee back. Of the other t- of the of the other two, I have to be honest with you. I would like to see. Um, I would like to see. Uh, Tom O'Connor and Luke Young play. Uh, James Jones again, the guy's a machine, uh, you know, an absolute engine on on him. But these two games, uh, you know, both Saturday and Tuesday, he, he's not been himself. You know, I've never seen him give the ball away as much as he has done in those two games. And he, he you know, I, I personally, I would, I would, I would have Young and O'Connor instead of Cannon and JJ. Um, the left is an interesting one because I don't know whether obviously McLean is gonna be be given an, an opportunity. Um, you know, it's it's between him and Mendy. I think I'm 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 you know, a bit fearful for McFadden because again I don't think he's done himself a lot of favors in the last couple of games. On the right hand side, I think he's got a tough decision to make because I think you know all the fans would say Barney probably because he's he's exciting, isn't he? You 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 know every time he gets the ball, you you, you think. Here we go, and he's just going to take people on. But Ford has played really well in these last two games, so that's an interesting one. But up front, as daft as, as much as we were debating it last week, um, for for me up front, unless they bring somebody else in, which I doubt they will now, but it kind of picks itself. And for me, it's 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 Palmer and Big Staff. I think they did more than enough on Tuesday night to to warrant a start on uh, on Saturday. Well, Wrexham have drawn Bradford City at home in the second round, match to be played on the week commencing 28th of August. Phil Parkinson against his old club versus Mark Hughes coming home. Jamie, should be quite a tasty match, that one. Uh, yeah, um, I just hope we get through to the next round, just if for no other reason than to watch uh, Martin O'Neill talking into the balls again. <laughs> uh, that was... Uh, that was that was just priceless. That was for those of you who didn't watch the draw. Martin O'Neill did the draw, and basically he was talking at the balls as he was pulling them out, and it was commented, commented a number of times. Um, yeah, do you know what? I I I've I think a lot of fans that I've seen online 
a little bit disappointed with the draw, and I understand. Um, it would have been, you know, it would have been nice to have had a, you know, an Everton or a Leeds or something like that would have been great. But you know, look, it's a home draw, which is important. Um, it's it's a winnable game, so it's an opportunity to get through to the next round and progress. Um, so you know, look, I, 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 yes, it wouldn't have been my preferred choice, but. I'd take a home home tie over anything else, um, and like you say, it's it's uh, it's you know there's, there's plenty of connection uh, between the two clubs uh, that that should make it you know should make it a decent game. And of course, we'll have a full preview and reaction to that game in the EMC pod. Bigger than Gareth Bale's hairdressing bill, it's the Eat More Chips podcast giveaway. Many thanks to everyone who entered the Eat More Chips podcast giveaway where we asked you, what should the new cop be called? Well, Jamie, we had some very commendable answers, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had a, we had a, few, uh, we had a few funny ones. And uh, yeah, I, I, I wish you'd have picked the one that I said, to be fair. Jamie wanted cop and balls, but I said that we couldn't really pick that one because... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but it just we just couldn't anyway. So yeah, obviously there were some fantastic uh, entries, and thanks to you all. Uh, Eat more chips, cop from Australian Rexham supporters, very nice. But I don't think we uh, we, we would be big headed enough to do that. FID suggested Jurgen Cop, it's a fair cop, and Kindergarten Cop, which I thought was quite nice. Copper Doodle Doo from South Wales Reds, so thanks for that. David O'Brien, of course, had to enter with the Copy McCop stand, uh, which you know, <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, you know, was a natural that was going to be entered at some point. Now, some said Beverly Hills Cop, which we liked very, very much. But because it's the second incarnation of the stand, we decided the winner is Beverly Hills Cop Two. And well done to at Rex the Mox. Many congratulations, and we'll be in touch soon to get you your copy of Out of the Frying Pan, Into the Flicks, in the post you ASAP. Now on the Eat More Chips pod, it's time for today's newspaper, Tomorrow's Chip Paper, where we look at the news this week around Wales and Wrexham AFC football. First up... The moment so many North Wales football fans have been waiting for has finally arrived, as the FAW released that Wales' friendly versus Gibraltar will be held at the Stoke Kairas on Wednesday the 11th of October, kick-off at 7.45pm. This brings the national side back to the oldest international football ground in the world for the first time in four years, since Wales beat Trinidad and Tobago 1-0 on the 20th of March 2019, Ben Woodburn scoring the winner in the 92nd minute. It's also 146 years since the first Wales International versus Scotland on 5th of March 1877, where Wales lost 2-0 in front of 4,000 spectators. And before you ask Jamie, no, I wasn't there. <laughs> FAW President Steve Williams welcomed the announcement. He said, Being born and bred in the Wrexham area, I am incredibly proud to see Cymru returning to the oldest international football stadium in the world. With the commitment of the FAW and the exciting redevelopment work taking place at the Stoke Kairas, I'm hopeful this opens the door for further matches to take place in the Wrexham area, across all our national teams and age groups, including our UEFA Under-19s Euro Finals bid for 2026 to celebrate our 150th anniversary. Daz, I know we've talked about this before, and it's great news, but now it's finally been confirmed, we have to look at the logistics. The Stoke Kairas only has 10,000 seats available at the moment. 
The Cardiff City Stadium, where Wales normally play, has 30,000 plus. With all the ticket hoo-hahs currently around Wrexham at the moment, how do you think the FAW are going to organise tickets? How are they going to organise tickets? I don't know. I mean, it's a really tough one, isn't it, when you're trying to fit those numbers into 10,000 seats. I think uh, the, the the fairest thing to begin with is is that you start with the red wall, obviously. Uh, that's the normal. Uh, but all of those fans who have sort of uh, uh, gallantly travelled and, and supported and, and made the effort, you know, all of those members up in North Wales, they deserve the opportunity to get first dibs. Um, I think there's obviously going to be some interest with um, hardcore fans who love the idea of going back to the race course though the Kairas is a historic place and just to be able to watch Wales play there again uh, is going to be one of those uh, uh, sort of must do uh, achievements for a lot of fans so I think I think there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, competition for those 10,000 seats but how you organise it as I say I think it's, it's you start with the membership and you go from there really uh, obviously I would be interested, but um, it's uh, it's it should go to people more local. Uh, so potentially an opportunity for, for Jamie. Jamie, Wednesday night in a cold autumnal October, under the lights, to see Wales. How special is this going to be? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. But a Bovril, woolly hat, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about the, the, the whole... It'd be great to see, you know, internationals, you know, men senior internationals back in the north, um, and and I think you know the the development that's planned at at, at the Kairas is is very much with 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 one eye on that. Um, so yeah, this is this is great, you know, this is this is great news for for the area. Um, I'm sure it'll be a, a you know an absolute sellout. It'll be a cracking atmosphere, and and yeah, I'm just glad, you know, I'm I'm, I'm pleased for for. You know, not not just the people of Wrexham, but the people of, of North, you know, North North Walian, uh, that you know, the, the in and around the North Walian area, so that it's maybe a bit more accessible to people who who the, you know the games in in the southern region just just aren't. Um, so yeah, bring it on. The only sad point, which we're going to talk about a bit later, is obviously now the potential you know, serious injury to Paul Mullin probably means that he will now miss any chance of being in that team for that match. I mean, that that's a terrible, terrible blow if that's the case, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that has been a little side, um, you know, a little, a little side uh, point, hasn't it, to, to, to Mullin's injury is that it, this probably puts the, the kibosh on a call-up for that game, which I think, other than that injury, you know, his injury, I think he would have been a shoo-in uh, to, to be picked. However, I am, and this, this may sound a bit controversial, but I think hopefully I can explain why I think this. I actually think, from the point of view of, of him not being able to play in this game, I'm I'm kind of glad. The reason I say that is because I wouldn't want his his international call up and uh, for Wales or potentially cap for Wales first cap to be what would probably be seen as a token gesture. He, he he deserves to be in the squad on on the merit of his performances. I think he he deserves to have been in the squad already, if I'm honest. But he's not been, so. In in a way, I'm not going to say I'm happy about this. I'm not happy about it at all. But but I hope he comes back, you know, um, all guns blazing as I expect him to do, and he's, he 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 gets a look in for the next squad after this on merit, you know, rather than there being a potential, uh, it's a you know token gesture because it's against Gibraltar, it's at the race course, 
yeah, let's give him, you know, let's give him a go there. Wrexham made their second major signing of the summer last Friday when we welcomed midfielder James McLean from Wigan Athletic for an undisclosed fee. James has signed an initial 12-month contract with a 12-month extension clause. 34 years old, James started his career with Derry City in 2008 before moving to Sunderland in 2011. He has played for West Brom, Stoke City and Wigan, making 353 appearances since 2013 and scoring 37 goals. He appeared in Wigan's loss in the Community Shield in 2013 and has had a controversial history at both Sunderland and West Brom due to his stance against the British occupation of Ireland during the Troubles. This led to fans of clubs he played often abusing or booing him. At Stoke City, however, he had a better time and was voted Player of the Year in 2020 by supporters. James has also represented Northern Ireland at junior level before switching to the Republic of Ireland for senior caps. James has played 100 caps for the Republic of Ireland and scored 11 goals. The most memorable for Welsh fans was his goal against Wales in 2017 for the World Cup qualifying that knocked Wales out of the playoff spot, meaning Wales failed to qualify for the World Cup after their Euro 2016 success. On signing, he said... I'm absolutely delighted to sign for Wrexham. It's a project that is very exciting and I'm looking forward to being a part of it. The club has ambitions to go even further and I'm a very ambitious person. I'm someone who is driven and I want to be part of that journey. Daz, Wrexham signed an ex-Premier League 100 cap international player at League 2 level. It's quite a signing. Do you think he'll transition well to League 2 play? Well, he brings a lot of experience to the team. Uh... You know his his credentials. He's played at the highest level. Uh, he's he's one of only seven players to have got a hundred caps for the Republic of Ireland. So you don't play for your national team for that long without having shown uh, a substantial amount of of quality and consistency. Uh, obviously, that that relies on avoiding injuries and things like that. Uh, yes, a long career gives you that, but he's managed to play at the highest level. Um, of course. Wigan slipped down a division last year, so he's been playing at championship level and now he's bypassing League One to come down to League Two. So will he be able to transition? I mean, he's certainly a class act, uh, a brilliant player who, along with players like Lee, you know, are clearly going to be able to lift the team. Um, Whether or not one player can do that, but it's a brilliant addition to your midfield um, where I think, you know, a a, a battling... um, uh, midfielder like like him, uh, I think will will be a, a welcome addition. Jamie, the Irish contingency is growing in the Wrexham ranks. Where do you think he'll fit in? Do I tell you what? St Paddy's Day is going to be a good celebration in, uh, in Wrexham, <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah. No. Hey, look. Like you just said, um, statement signing. You know, a, a hundred capped international signing for Wrexham. Uh, you know, there's been all sorts of, of uh, you know, crap spouted about the fee. We don't know what the fee is, so you know, it's, it's irrelevant. We, you know, we we have to trust that the, the club have, have paid what they think is is, is right. Um, you know, yes, he's in the twilight of his career. Uh, not somebody I've watched a lot of. I have seen him play a few times. Um, what what I'm interested in from what I know about him and from listening to some other fans of clubs he's played for and from what I know about him, he potentially offers us something that I think we need, which is, and you're going to need the blink machine here, he's a bit of a nasty <laughs> um, 
somebody that's going to, you know, he's going to be one of those players, I think, that opposition fans will hate. And not for any of the political stuff you've mentioned. I, You know, that for me, he's, he's entitled to his, his, you know, he's entitled to his his, uh, his thoughts and his opinions, the same as we all are. You know, he's I'm there to, to watch him play football and judge him on his football and nothing else. Um, but I, I think just because of the way he'll put himself about on the pitch, and I think he's one of those players that, Opposing fans will hate, but home fans will love him. I get that feeling that that's what he's going to be like. Um, the other thing that I've read about him is is that, and one of the one of the things that that, that made me sort of a bit reassured about the fact that he's he's thirty four is is from what I've from what I've kind of read, he, he's almost kind of uh, Ronaldo esque in in the way he approaches his his uh, looking after himself physically. You know, keeps himself very physically fit. Um, so yeah, I. I it's a it's like I say it's a mark signing it's an interesting signing from the point of view of the position that he plays because obviously he's 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 more recently he's more like a left wing back um, so I'm guessing that's going to be you, you know vying uh, for for that position with 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 Mendy and and that, you know, unfortunately I think it, it pushes McFadden a little bit even further down um, but yeah look I'm I'm you know at the end of the day he 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 was Wigan's player of the season last year although they got relegated he you know that was in the you know um, in the championship so uh, yeah on paper quality signing you know let's hope he's a great addition to the to the squad well Daz, as mentioned controversy follows him because of his republican beliefs he's refused to wear the poppy on remembrance day as a mark of respect to the irish killed by british soldiers in his hometown of derry he wants to turn his back on the cross of st george during god save the queen now wales obviously has a very different view on the english but wrexham is a garrison town with long links to the british army do you think the problems for him will continue or will his stand be more tolerated it's a tricky one really isn't it you know when players bring in politics uh, into into the game. I know there's been a lot of uh, contentious uh, protests and statements made by other players over the years. And obviously, uh, he's one who's uh, managed to sort of upset quite a few people over the years uh, because of its it's quite a staunch opinion uh, as a as an independent pro independent. Uh, Welshman, uh, I can obviously appreciate his his uh, Republican uh, beliefs in terms of Ireland, um, but uh, there's a time and a place. Um, many a uh, a person has perhaps not sat stood up for God save the Queen, um, so I would take that as a sort of pinch of salt with that one really. Um, so. I think I think it's it's tricky. You're right about Wrexham being a garrison town, but I think that's a very very particular pocket of northeast Wales that that might see themselves as as military or former military. I think if you were to ask the majority of North Wales, certainly northwest Wales, where Wrexham still have a you know have a very good fan base, um, they'll perhaps uh, have a slightly different view. So I think I think he's going to uh, have to tread carefully. And certainly, uh, this is not the platform to uh, to continue uh, generating the controversy. I think it would be, you know, it'd be good to. I think I think it's the right thing for just to get on with your game. Um, there's enough headlines around Wrexham without him having to bring any sort of individual headlines uh, along with him. Jamie, he does look very physical, but he is 34. Do you think he'll still have enough fitness to compete at this level, even though you said you know, he, he is Ronaldo-esque? 
yeah, hundred percent. I, 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 the, 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 you know, ultimately, um, the the club wouldn't just sign him for the sake of it. Um, okay, he, he signed a, a one year deal with an option for a second year, so it's it's you know in theory it's it's like a two year deal. Um, you know, players these days, even at this level, the, the the way they keep themselves in shape or the the ones that have got the right attitudes is is is, is crazy. So. I don't. I don't believe that that at thirty four he still hasn't got an awful lot he, he he can give. I mean he's certainly not one for one for the long term, is he? But you know the whole purpose of what we're trying to do now is 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 progress through the leagues and and I, I genuinely well, get you know credentials and on paper he he should absolutely be able to contribute to that. Um, I'm excited to to see him play. I'd be interested to see where he plays in the team, um, and obviously then obviously how, how he's going to play. But yeah, I've got a funny feeling he's he, he's got the potential to be to become a, a real fans favourite. The launch of season two of the Welcome to Wrexham documentary was this week, with the first episode of the new season dropping on Wednesday, September the 12th on Disney Plus in the UK and Hulu in the US. This hotly anticipated second season will chart Wrexham AFC's 2022-2023 season and the people of Wrexham that surround the club, plus the thoughts and feelings of our two co-chairmen, Humphrey, Sean and the rest of the team. Look, we're looking at the documentary right there. Hi, documentary! Rob and I came together to purchase a football club. Everything is going exactly the way we want it to go. And then we lost in the semifinal. This was not in the Hollywood script. But now millions of people are following and watching, which we didn't have before. A lot of, uh, a lot of expectation. Oh my God, the expectation. Dear God. Welcome to Wrexham. Jamie, after the success of the first season, winning multiple awards and being nominated for six Emmys, what are you expecting from the new season of the documentary? Happy ending? Um, <laughs> what, is that? Is that like uh, massa- massage pile happy ending, you mean? Or... Uh, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. What, you... what, what, what do you mean, bruv? You need to fill me in on that one. I don't know what you mean. Um... No, I mean, look, it, it's it's. Uh, we all know how the season ended. Uh, we all went through the emotion of the the latter part of the season. Um, it, in theory, it should make it phenomenal TV, shouldn't it? Um, I mean, I think it's it, it's still mind blowing, isn't it? I think I don't know about you, but I still pinch myself a little bit with regards to the whole documentary thing to see, you know, people around the world talking about our town you know the town that you and I know and grew up in and and you know people talking about it from the other side of the world and have watched it and it, it's still mind-blowing I mean I think they did an incredible job in season one uh of of it, it, it wasn't you know it wasn't a, it, yes it was about the football team but they did an incredible job didn't they telling the story of the town and 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 the the soul of the town, um, and I I think you know again I think there's so much anticipation for season two. It'll be it'll be so exciting to see what what they do with it, you know, um, because we don't know we don't know what they film, you know, don't you know you know uh, how much they film and and then how much they they cut out and what they put into the episodes, how they decide what what goes into the episodes. I suspect there'll be a, a big much bigger focus on the the women's side this year, which will be great. Um, to get you know an insight into that, obviously everybody loves seeing Robin Ryan's involvement in the club because of you know who they are. But I think also it's 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 shown how much they've embraced 
the club and the community and how much it's got into their veins. And I think everybody's, you know, everybody, whether you're local, a local fan, uh, uh, an, an international fan, or not even a fan, you're just watching the, the, the TV program, just to, to see the impact that that the that the club, the town, the sport has had on them is is incredible to watch. So yeah, I think season two, you know, we all can't wait, can we, to to, to watch it? It'll be great. Well, Daz, as a neutral whose family has watched season one, will this be popular with non-Wrexham fans, do you think? Yeah, I think so, definitely. I think uh, uh, what you've got there is a, is a winning formula where you've got uh, a team that has achieved now, which is fantastic, and I think we all know the results, like you said. So, you know, um, the jeopardy isn't quite there, but I think everybody's fallen in love with the the owners, uh, as as a as a partnership, they've just come across so endearing and so wonderful to watch. Uh, I think uh, I think us neutrals have also come to love the uh, the team more. I mean, I would say I was a distant fan, but um, I think you've got a lot more fans now based on the fact that they've connected with your team in a way that that uh, that the documentary is offered that you wouldn't get otherwise. And I and I think also. Um, you'll be proud of your town, I think, uh, uh, or city, depends on which version you want to call it. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's a it's the town itself has come across as the as a as a, as a real asset uh, and a real winner in in the documentary. Um, Warts and all, there was some some tough viewing in the first season, um, but there was obviously lots of highs to go with those lows. Um, but uh, I think I think if they've got that winning formula and they and they keep to it, um, and with the the fairy tale ending this time around, then uh, it's going to be a great second season. Well, Jamie, as you said, we know that the ending is going to be better than season one, at least. And with the success of season one and the profile it created, not just for the club, but also for the town, now city and the region. Is season two, do you think, going to lift this even higher or do you think it's plateaued and we're kind of we can't get any bigger than we already are? Well, no, I mean, that's we we definitely can get bigger than we already are. Um, I, I think season two has the potential i think to 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 blow it into the stratosphere because i think it's season one gained so much momentum so it gained so much steam and so much um you know publicity for want of a better phrase uh i think but but having said that there's still going to be an awful lot of people who've not seen seen it um so i i think yeah i think season two's got the the potential to 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 blow it into the stratosphere um the, the big question for me then is is after that, what happens after that is, you know, are, are they already planning season three, season four? You know, what? Because because you have to look at this and you have to say, can you better it from from the point of view of the t- of, 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 of of the the TV documenting the story? Whilst we hope over the next few years, you know, we're going to see League One, we're going to see the Championship. Dare I say it, we're going to see the Premier League in the next however many years. And and in theory, that will make all make good viewing and good watching and tell a, and tell a good story, but. Are, are is anything? Are we are we going to be able to to, to beat from a visual uh, television perspective and a documentary perspective? Are we going to be able to uh, top last year? Uh, so I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if nothing else. But yeah, bring it on. <laughs> now on the Eat More Chips podcast, it's part two of our interview with broadcaster Bryn Law. This week, we asked him his thoughts about the Wales national men's and women's sides. 
After the euphoria of Euro 2016, which was phew, an incredible time as a Welsh football supporter, if you were writing a kind of a school report, how do you think the men's team have done since that kind of groundbreaking Euro 2016 campaign? Uh, well, I do a bit of lecturing now, but um, I'm, I'm never that pithy with the comments that I write on the on the on the numerous assignments that I have to mark. Um, but it would something it would be something along the lines of um, started the term well, um, but has struggled in the last few months. Um, you know, fairly straightforward that one, isn't it? You know, we mm. we came out of Euro 2016 with momentum. And that took us into another qualification or we missed the World Cup in between. But we were unlucky to miss the World Cup in yeah. between. Um, that was kind of a marginal. Um, but then we, the momentum was maintained by getting to the next Euros. In a sense, I think things began to unravel a little bit with the whole impact of the way that that European Championships played out, the delay to it. The fact that ultimately lots of people just couldn't get or, you know, couldn't get to games. So... The whole thing you'd built up with 2016, it was a terrible tournament anyway, That's that, that next European Championship, the way it was Dreadful. logistically, it was a shocker. Yeah. But on top of that, you had the sort of limits on spectators, you had limits on travel, the whole thing. So a little bit of the fun perhaps went out of it at that stage. Um, but again, I mean, I, the one bit that really, um, really gave me great um, pleasure was that Nations League win. Most of it played, if not all of it, played through uh, lockdown with empty stadia. But there were some great performances in in that tournament because we were missing key players through that one. And to win the group, that's the first, well, te- it's the first time we've ever won a four-team group, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, we topped one, in, topped one in the mid-70s. But to get through that and to, um, to get the benefit of... Um, then having the, the sort of the rankings um, boost and the seedings and all the rest of it, playoff guarantees, that all um, served very useful purpose further down the line. The World Cup campaign was really good. Um, and we got through, uh, as everybody knows, in sort of a, in dramatic fashion, but we did it. We, we were excellent. Um, and the drop-off, the drop-off came from the point of, that World Cup qualification, didn't it? Because yep. that's where the that's where the results have gone awry from that from that time onwards. Um, so, what what the key the catalyst for that? Well, I think I mean we'll talk more about it in a moment. I'm sure, but the catalyst I think is to do with I don't think is anything much more than the fact that um, a little bit of the steam and the energy have gone out have gone out of the, some of the key players. They fell over the line to get into the World Cup finals, and that was probably the you know that. That was that. That was where the last, the last gasp for them, in a sense, um, it didn't manifest as anything uh, useful in the World Cup. And from that point on, we found it difficult. Um, and we'll examine the reasons, perhaps, why, in a little more detail. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got the feeling that we put all our energy into basically getting over that line. And then once we kind of got over the line, well, we still had some Nations League games to play. We were kind of sort of thinking, okay, well, we need to try and now protect what we've got because we're going to get to a World Cup. That's the feeling that that, that many fans got. I mean, with regards to the World World Cup last year, many uh, Welsh fans thought of it as a, as a disappointment, even though we were there, which, you know, in all the years that both you and I have been following Wales and all the disappointments that we remember, I mean, just to be there was an absolutely incredible feat for a nation of 3.1 million. That, I mean, you, you have to admit... Just to get there is is a major achievement, isn't it? Oh, oh for, for absolutely certain. Um, 
but you're right. Um, you know, put that aside. The getting there was fantastic. The being there was not so good. Um, we didn't play very well in it. Well, we played poorly in, in two of the three games. Um, we didn't play very well in the one that we got something from, to be honest, either. Um, I, I think it was the tournament was, um, all a bit overwhelming. It looked like for our group in a sense. Um, and, uh, we didn't, we didn't look like we felt we belonged there. Um, and that, that, you know, that was disappointing. Mm. It came at the wrong time for, uh, undoubtedly in terms of the quality players that we had, um, you know, that their best years were behind them by the time that tournament came round. If we'd have qualified for that other World Cup, the one that Republic of Ireland pipped us to yeah. in terms of the playoff place, at least, you know, we would have been able to go into that one all guns blazing, I think, with a, with a side that could have uh, at least put a few points on the board. Um, but by the time we got to the to this most recent World Cup, um, I think the, a lot of the legs had gone out the team. And then you've got, if you take that quality out, and, and it's not just that the, the, you know, the main line, it's not just Gareth Bale. No, no. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Ramsey's had a, a tough time putting um, game time together in recent seasons. Not just a season or two, even. You know, it's been more than that. It's been it's been a long time since he had a sort of proper proper run of games. He's had injury problems in the midst of it all, and we lost key key personnel. Somebody like Joe Allen, crucial. Uh, that holding midfield role in international football, in particular, is so so important. And he was so good at it. Great energy levels in there as well. Um, and even people like Joe Ledley, who've gone by the way, we kind of covered for that for a while. But he was a he was a Premier League uh, midfielder as well. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's if you're looking at areas where we struggle in at the moment. At the moment, that's one of the areas for me because we don't have any high line, top line um, central midfielders. And that's you know we we're, we need to try and fill that. That's a huge gap because. That's where you control an international match from. What we've lost the ability to do is control international games. Yep. So when we go through, if you go all the way back to your 2016 qualification campaign, the key to success in that qualification campaign was being able to see games out, you know, not concede goals. We were, we were very, very, very good defensively through that tournament. And Chris Coleman made that the foundation for everything else. You know, if we don't concede, if we, if we, if we can manage a game properly, if we get one and we've got players who can get one, um, then we'll win the game 1-0. And that's what happened all the way through that qualification campaign. And we carried on with that. You saw it in that Nations League when we when we finished top of the group. Yep. We ground out so many results in that in that group with late goals um, because we've been tight and defensively solid. And then we just nick it right at the end. So we did that in through that tournament. Then the flip happened in the other Nations League tournament, the one leading up to the World Cup you mentioned, where we were in we were in every game in that in that group. We could have won that group. Definitely. But we but we ended up with what? One point from it? Yeah. Um, from a from a draw with Belgium. Because we did the opposite in that group. We suddenly lost the ability to see games out or to control games or to you know, twice we equalized in, in the last minute of a game and still didn't manage to get a, a, a draw from it. So um, we'd got, we'd, we'd lost that. It's a key thing in international football. I saw it all the way through that um, 2014 onwards period where we had a group of players who'd learnt international football. 
and you could tell the maturity was there and that when they were standing in the tunnel before games, you knew that they knew that they were going out and they were going to do all right. They were going to be okay because they knew what to do. And I think we've, we've gone a little bit, I think we've gone more than a little bit away from that. I don't think we've got a group yet that's quite got to grips with the, the concept of playing international football. There's other problems. We've got lots of players who aren't playing much football. Um, in 2016, we had players largely who were all involved and had been in the build-up to the tournament. Now we've got players who are often at good clubs, but not getting much game time, or they're playing lower down the ladder now. And so um, it's a it's a relatively large group we've got, um, but it probably lacks, well, it definitely does lack the top, top, top quality that we have had in those previous, most recent years. And it's, you know, it's a huge, you, you can't kid yourself. It's a huge hole to fill. Absolutely. Lose Gareth Bale huge hole to fill you know it's a sort of hole that would be filled by three players or four players totally because yeah. because of, of his contribution in so many different ways and so to lose bale and to lose well um, to lose alan and then to lose others along the way as well those guys who'd got that experience who are battle-hardened international football veterans um these the next group are learning as they go along um they've qualified they've qualified for a couple of tournaments now um but there's still a still to me there's a bit of fragility about about the way they go about their business. Um, it's crept into play. I mean, it was absolutely clear in the Armenia game. Yeah, that was um, that was very. Well, you know, you could not say anything other, and and in particular defensively, yep. we were really poor. I mean, to concede four at home to Armenia, that takes some doing, frankly. Totally. Um, and every every time Armenia seemed shot, they seemed to score, and and. Um, that was yeah. So uh, uh, there's there's some work to be done there, and uh, it's got to be done soon um, because um, f- international football cyclical. We've seen that we we had a long cycle of nothing. Then we had Mark Hughes with a bit of a pickup. It still didn't qualify for stuff. Then we dropped off again big time, and then mm. we picked up again big time. Mm. Uh, and we might be now on on the the downward roll in terms of the cycle potentially. I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, denigrating the players who are involved. No, no. It's just an it's a fact of you know it's it's to do with who's born when, if you like. Well, you have to look at a team like Scotland. I mean, look at Scotland have you know the start of the century and moving in. They they've been so far off the boil compared to the Scotland yeah, that we yeah. remember the seventies. Yeah. Now look at them. Yeah. They they are yeah. they are managing the games well. They are looking at yeah. their sides. You know they're doing everything right. And there's a reason I say for that. The cyclical nature of football, and also Republic of Ireland, who who for years we looked enviously across the, the Irish Sea at the Republic of Ireland, thinking, how the hell have they done that? You know, how are they qualifying for World Cups and getting to the quarterfinals and stuff? Um, and then more recently, you know, we've played, we couldn't beat them at one time, and now more recently we've been beating them every time we play them, and they've had a massive drop off. You know, and they they've not really been close for to even qualifying for stuff. So, but they'll have, you know, at some point in the future, the key to all of this is that you've got to have a structure in place that ensures that you do everything you can to fill those gaps successfully with the best players you can. We did that obviously brilliantly in the runner under Brian Flynn, yeah. um, Oshin Roberts' involvement in terms of the, the improvement in the whole coaching structure, um, Flynn's brilliant scouting, getting people in from all over the place, putting them, that all those things actually still exist. Um so we've got that we should have the framework in place to make sure we develop more and i think we will to to develop more good players in future so it 
So it, it doesn't become a one-off, two-off, three-off. There might be a couple of years dip, but then you hit you hit it again. You know, you, you'll get three or four more come through. And I think we're in a better place at the very least to do that now. And the, and the thing is about the, you know, as as we've referred it onto the pod as the golden age of Welsh football, because we, we really do think that if maybe we're on the, da- like you say, on the downside, we've definitely been in a golden age of Welsh football. That encourages the next generation, doesn't it? You know, the, those, well, that's it, yeah. those kids who are looking at it thinking, well, I want to play in the, in the red shirt. I, I want to do that. And they will then bring up that talent. So it's definitely part of it. I mean, as you say, some really disappointing results after the World Cup. I mean, with that in mind and the fact that we are, you know, halfway through now, do you think Wales are going to qualify for the Euros in Germany next year? Um, from the group, no, I don't think so. Um, I think too many points have been dropped. Mm. Um, and, and a home defeat to Armenia, you know, ultimately, if that doesn't cost you, I'd be very, very surprised because that's not the kind of result that anybody who's in, in your vicinity in the group is, is going to suffer, you would anticipate. So... Um, I I I think we'll be off. Listen, enlighten me. I don't. What's the playoff situation here? Basically, because of the way that the rest of the Nations League is set out, and others who are above us from a points-wise, that you know they've already either already qualified or whatever. We're pretty much guaranteed a play a two-leg playoff at some point in the spring next year. They're still not quite sure exactly who that's going to be, but there are a couple of teams lined up, and I don't want to. I don't want to jinx us by 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 naming who that is, but there is a there is a very very high chance that if we don't go through automatically, which is a shame as there are two places available directly. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have got a fairly very decent chance to go through via that. Whatever happens, it will be a two leg, and it will be a tough. It will be a tough ask. That's for, that's for certain. But if you've fallen, if you if you've not done it through the group, you know, you get that sort of backdoor option opportunity now. And and it, at the point and the next couple of games will will tell us for sure one way or the other, frankly, whether we're going to be in anything like the mix um, or not. Then um, you've got to uh, you might change your strategy a little bit then uh, on the basis of what you do in the rest of it to either try stuff out um, on the basis that you you're going to get to two games at the end of it you anticipate that are the actual crucial matches. You know it'll be a two game group effectively. Um, well, the next stage as well, I'm guessing, you know, to go through, I don't know, listen, um, international football uh, bemuses and <laughs> I know. Um, be- be- bewilders me these days. But um, And it's bad enough for the men, but if you look at the women's side, it's even worse. Uh, I tried to work out that the, the women's playoff route, um, once, it had, once, it had, once it had begun, and then re- I just kind of gave up. I, I watched the BBC's um, sort of uh, resume in terms of um, how it was all going to play out through the playoffs. And I still, I still didn't get it. And in, in all honesty, they've probably got the better chance of qualifying for a tournament at the moment um, than the men's team have. Um, I, I would suggest. Yeah, let's. I mean, let's look at the the women's side just for a second. I mean, Gemma Granger obviously has continued the work from Jane Ludlow in putting the Wales women's side definitely on the world map. I mean, the recent game against the US. I mean, going out to the USA and playing the world ranking number one team. I mean, that is an incredible opportunity, you know, for 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 the Welsh women. I mean, how healthy do you think the women's game in Wales in general, both internationally and nationally, is at the moment? Uh, well, it, it's 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 had um, a meteoric rise to prominence, hasn't it? The the women's game, because I mean, obviously, um, there's been a women's side for for an awful long time, and you've got to say that the FAW um, 
have, have played the blinder in many ways. You know, it, it's been their support and their um, their um, financial input that that's made a big difference. And we now, I do a lot of work with the coach education course. I do the A license and the Pro license, uh, and we are we we are increasingly seeing. I mean, Jane Ludlow was on the course, so um, Jane, you know, I had Jane as a Pro license candidate, so she was doing all the same stuff, exactly the same stuff as the guys that we had coming from, um, you know, Premier League, English Premier League clubs, for instance, they're all doing the same work. And we're seeing more and more women on those courses now, which is fantastic because it gives you that sense. Um, we've had Nicola Anderson has been over in uh, working with uh, UEFA recently. It gives you that sense that the same um, application is being made to improve the women's game as has been made to improve the men's game. Yeah. Uh, and you know that the the adage with those coach education courses in Wales is um, more coaches, better coaches, uh, and that oh, that has to improve across the board. That has to improve at grassroots level. That has to improve uh, the way the game's played. And you're seeing the benefit of it. I'm sure you're seeing the benefit of it. You know, um, the added benefit is the success of the men's national team still because it's exactly the same because um, the uh, Female players, little girls and little boys, both support the, the, the men's national football team. You know, they've seen them at European Championships, they've seen them at World Cups. That it's one game. It's only football. It doesn't you know, doesn't matter um, who it is playing. It. It's just one game. So um, it, it draws everybody in. That lifts everything as well. Then you've got on top of that the success of the women's team. Um, with some sort of um, star players being created, which I think is really important in the women's game, is that you, you've got those um, those role models, but also those stars that pick, that um, uh, the young players can aspire to be. You've got that in the Welsh women's team now. Um, and as soon as they cross the line to the next stage, we've seen the Republic of Ireland do it, we've seen Scotland do it, uh, we've seen Northern Ireland do it. Um, so Wales have got to be next on that list to get, get into a major tournament. And, and like the men's team have found, then the momentum comes from that financially. Obviously, it's very beneficial as well. So you pump that back into the game. Um, and and so the thing grows. Women's football is, is not coming from exactly a standing start, but it's not far off. I mean, the men's game has been 150, 60, 70 years in its evolution, whereas the women's game is effectively, given how much investment has been made in the last few years, is starting from now in a way. Um, so it's grown, it's grown, and it's growing very, very quickly. But it's still got a way to go. I mean, the next bit would be with the domestic women's game in Wales. Would be for the gates. You know, Wrexham blew everybody out the water. So Wrexham, not even the top division team in Wales, blew everybody out the water with that with that nine thousand gate for the for the game at the end of the season. But that shows that you know that Wrexham's success is all about the power of marketing. It, it you know brilliant marketing um, through the documentary series. And that's that, that applies at, at every level. So if you've got brilliant marketing around the women's game, and there has been really good marketing from the FAW, and you do the same around the domestic game, then you can you can do all the same things um, that Wrexham have been doing. You can you can you can create your stars. You can you can um, make an attractive match day experience. Uh, and as the competition gets better, more people want to come and look at it. Um, and that's you know that's got to be a good thing. I mean, Wales were so close to qualifying for their first major championship last year, losing out in the playoffs versus Switzerland. I mean, you you, you intimated it earlier. Do you think the women can match the men and qualify for a Euro Championship or a World Cup in the very near future? 
Yeah, I do. I, I do. And I think I, um, to, to reiterate, I think in a way they're in a better place currently perhaps than, than the men are to do that. Um, just because they've got that momentum thing now. They'll take great confidence from that game in America because I watched that and they were um, they were dogged, to say the least. I mean, barely had a shot on goal. But, but at the, defensively, that's the thing that Chris Coleman had in his team yes. in that uh, yes. 2014 campaign, qualification campaign, that, that sort of dogged discipline and making sure that, you know, um, they shall not pass that kind of mentality. And then if you nick something, now playing against the US was always going to be incredibly difficult to do that. But if you take that same um, mindset and kind of um, game plan into a game against lesser opposition, you are going to get chances against them. So if you defend in the same way and you score a goal, you win the game 1-0. And that's where I think they, they um, it'll be interesting to see the Nations League games are going to be interesting because that's going to pitch Wales like the men's team have experienced. You know, good, um, steep learning curve, but playing more games against top teams. And uh, I think that will be um, beneficial as well um, because that will, you know, that will, that will give you that kind of um, battle-hardened group who are not scared standing up against anybody in, in international matches. And they've shown that as a group in recent games anyway. Um, so I think that, I think I'm sure they're going to qualify um, for a tournament before uh, very long, if not the next one that comes up next be European Championships, I think, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm, I'm confident of that. And now it's time for... The Mass Debate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Our Inquisitor Simon Cook at Wrexham Cookie asked, Do you think Wrexham women's team should be playing in Kevin, given the current situation? Will it have an adverse effect on attendances? Now, some background, based obviously only on what we know through the press. Wrexham women have signed a deal to play at the Rock Stadium in Tros Medra after playing their home games last season at Ponky Park in Tros. Moving to the Rock, which is a 2,500 capacity ground, is an increase in facilities to match up to the new Premier League status Wrexham now has. However, there have been some behind-the-scenes difficulties where the owner of the ground, who is also the chairman of the club Kevin Druids FC, is concerned. He has fallen out with the management of players of the club over supposed unpaid wages. Kevin Druids are under a transfer embargo at the moment due to them playing ineligible players in the 2021-22 season, which meant at one point only nine players were available for matches. Other issues, including lack of training kit and club attire, were also suggested, which resulted in all players and management walking out of the club at the end of the 2022-23 season. The club has now withdrawn from all FAW League fixtures for the 2023-24 season until their appeal is heard. They've also closed the academy at all age groups, but retained membership of the FAW. They still have a futsal team, but effectively Kevin Druids FC are dormant with no senior players. However, Kevin Druids FC Limited still trades and holds the asset, which is the Rock Stadium, leaving Wrexham Women and Gresford Athletic FC as tenants. As you can imagine, supporters of Kevin Druids FC, one of the oldest clubs in Wales, are not happy and blame the chairman for mismanagement and poor running of the club. Des Williams, chairman of Kevin Drudes FC and owner of The Rock, has responded, I'm personally saddened that they have taken this course of action and made comments which are incorrect, inaccurate and is a deliberate attempt to cast a shadow on the club and myself. 
I have been nothing but loyal to the players and management and allowed them to get on with the job in hand. I find myself an easy target for those that are unhappy and wish to voice their opinions in public, regardless of the truth or consequences. Daz, it's all a bit of a mess, this one. Kevin Druids are one of the most respected clubs in Wales with a proud history. Welsh Cup winners eight times and have won numerous other awards. Now, we don't know the exact issues apart from what's reported in the press, but for the entirety of the staff and management to walk out en masse, there has to be something seriously wrong, isn't there? Yeah, there's got to be something wrong, and it's both off the pitch and on the pitch. Uh, you know, the last couple of seasons have been, you know, uh, tragic, really. The, uh, they, they came bottom of the table a couple of years ago and didn't get relegated because there was uh, there was no relegation that year because uh, there was no suitable promotion and then and then they came bottom again the following year so you know that that re- relegated them to the division below so there's clearly been a problem there on the pitch um, but everybody seems to be blaming everybody else lots of references to previous administration it's all down to do with the the fact that there's a uh, the transfer ban is based on an international player that they didn't go through the proper procedures. Well, I just find that uh, ridiculous. You know, if that's your job at a club is to be part of that process, you should understand the rules of FIFA, you know, uh, recruitment and, and, and transfer rules. Uh, so there's clearly some issues. Um, whether or not the current chairman is directly responsible, very difficult to tell. Um, but, you know, what I am sort of... I don't, I don't know if it's say pleased about, but it's the I wouldn't want the club to fold. I suppose is what I'm uh, more concerned about. They are Wales's oldest domestic team. Um, uh, they you know they're called the Ancients for that reason. Um, so if we were to lose a historic club like this, um, that would be tragic. So to be able to maintain their status, even if it's only at futsal level at the moment, um, but if it means having to go down to the bottom uh, bottom of the Welsh pyramid and start all over again, surely that's better than a club folding. Um, we've seen too many sort of stories, um, you know, teams like Bangor, you know, who, that, that should never have happened. Um to a team like Bangor and for it to be sounding like it's happening to another historic team um there's it's a bit of a concern so um yeah yeah not 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 good to see um and it sounds like they're, they're not going to replace them in their division in the um in in the north uh they're just going to sit that seat out and uh wait for the promotion to happen next year I gather but uh yeah quite the mess though Jamie, although it's great that Wrexham women are playing in such facilities, given our history with owners Wrexham fans have been unhappy with, will any shadow cast from the ownership of the ground be transferred to the Wrexham name, do you think? Yeah, it's such a difficult one, this, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, uh, Simon, Mr. Simon Cook, again, for uh, posing these uh, grenade-like questions. Um, (laughs) It's such a hard one, isn't it? You, you you you've got a feel for um you've got a feel for for the the Wrexham women's team uh, and Gresford Athletic because obviously they they the intention is for them to, to 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 use the facility. I would imagine on a moral level it probably puts the players and the staff in quite a, 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 a you know a, a, a sort of a sticky situation because I think they'll probably feel um, I mean awkward for want of a better. Um, kind of phrase I, I, I guess it's like you said it's difficult isn't it because you know, we don't nobody oh, I say nobody or probably only a very small number of people know the the, the reality but like you you, you say it, it, something's not right for, for, for you know all, all staff 
to you know unite and and walk out something's not right um and it's you know there is a long standing you know history and tradition with kevin Druid, isn't there and there's a lot of um, loyalty you, you know certainly in the local area to, to, towards them um i i, I it's really difficult because i don't see wrexham as a club getting involved in the um in the kind of uh, moral element of it they'll just look at it as a you know as like from from a business perspective and the business perspective is that they wanted better facilities for the women's team they've done a deal for it to be there so uh, you know unless there was something you know illegal or completely you know immoral or whatever that came out then i can't see them massively being massively keen to distance themselves from it so i would expect the the, the women's team to carry on as planned um, but I, I do feel for them because i would imagine it's going to feel quite quite awkward for for, for, for them Daz, the fans of kevin drude's fc are understandably very unhappy and there is an unsettled air over the club should wrexham women be playing there and by that look to be supporting a a management that supporters are in conflict with it's a tricky one, this, because you feel like supporting the club by maintaining a connection, uh, playing the games there, will mean that that pitch will still be in use. You know, it will still be being used by both the Wrexham women and the Gresford Athletic FC. So to have two sitting tenants means that the ground will continue to be used. It'll, it may, maintains some employment, I would imagine, for ground staff. Uh, it would be an income stream of some sort to the club whilst they try and deal with uh, what's happening off the pitch. Now, of course, if they successfully uh, appeal uh, against their transfer ban, uh, that might allow them to kickstart on and rebuild the club much quicker, obviously, if the ban is maintained. Um, but you're right, there's, there's, there's something a bit unsavoury about it, and you it might feel a bit uncomfortable being involved with it. Um, but uh, I can see from a business sense why Ken would desperately want Wrexham to stay. Um, and uh, let's, let's hope that it, it works out for all parties concerned. And Jamie, with all this bubbling around in the background, which, it, as, as we know, nothing to do with Wrexham women or Gresford Athletic. It's just unfortunate they happen to be tenants. But do you think this, any of this will distract from what Wrexham women will be doing on the pitch? I don't think it'll distract what they're doing on the pitch or what they they want to achieve on the pitch. I think they're they're they're, they're too well the setup is too well run for that to happen. I think, but what what there could be an issue with is as like the question you just asked as there about the attendances that that's where there could be a problem because I think that there is a, a a possibility that you know fans may boycott. Um, or some fans may boycott um, attending uh, in support of of you know the players and the staff from uh, uh, you know from from Kevin Druids. Um I, I I hope you know. Look at the end of the day, I, I I if 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 there are if there are people who want to support the cause of the players and the staff at Kevin Druids, fair fair play. I'm I'm I, you know good good luck to them and and, and that's their if they believe that that's fine. Um, and if they choose, if they think the best way to support those players is to boycott anything that's going on at the Rock, then then, then so be it. Um, but I would I would hope that th- they can somehow detach that from what the the Wrexham women are doing and Gresford Athletic to a to a to a to a degree in the sense that, like you just said, it's not their fault what's happening to the 
to the staff of Kevin Druitt is not their fault. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's in a, in, a, in a strange way, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see what happens. I just, I really hope it doesn't have a have, have a too big of an impact on on certainly the, the the women's team because you know they they made such big strides and had such a fantastic season last year, and everybody's excited about this season. The last thing they need is is off the field um, distractions because they're going to have you know they're going to have a, a, a you know their work sort of cut out um, or, you know to to, to to make a mark in the, in, the, in the Premier League. The chip shop has opened its doors and the wonderful smell of chip shop curry and potato fritters is hanging in the air. Ready to serve are Jamie and Daz and first into the fryer this week, it's AFC Wimbledon. AFC Wimbledon are the Yang to MK Don's Ying. When Wimbledon FC were relocated to Milton Keynes in 2002, a number of Wimbledon supporters, unhappy with their club being taken away from its heritage, met in a pub on Wimbledon Common to plan how best to protest the move. At that meeting it was agreed to start the club from scratch, and by May 2002, money was being raised by the supporters' trust to form AFC Wimbledon. Within a couple of months, they had a board kit, a ground and had held open trials where 230 potential players had turned up. Starting life in the combined counties league, AFC Wimbledon moved their way up the pyramid at an impressive pace and by 2011 they had reached the football league, even getting as high as league one. In 2022 they were relegated to league two and last year came 21st in league two with 11 wins, 15 draws and 20 losses, a goal difference of minus 12 and 48 points. In the summer came in midfielder Jake Reeves from Stevenage, striker Omar Bogil and forward Josh Noville from Sutton United, winger Ryan McLean from Hereford FC and forward James Tilly from Crawley Town, defender Ryan Johnson from Stockport County and midfielder Armani Little from Forest Green Rovers and on a season-long loan, centre-back Joe Lewis also from Stockport. Out went goalkeeper Spike Britz to Manchester City and midfielder Ethan Chislett to Port Vale. Managed by Johnny Jackson since May 2022, Wrexham and AFC Wimbledon have met twice before, with one win and one loss in the 2010-2011 season. Although Wrexham have met Wimbledon three times in their old guys in the FA Cup in 1981 in the fourth round and 1998 in the third round. AFC Wimbledon have had a decent first game at Grimsby, drawing 0-0, and in the Carabao Cup a 2-1 win at home to Coventry City. AFC Wimbledon are 50-1 to to win the league and 12-1 to to get promoted with 15-2 to get relegated this season. And the chips are done. Daz, I've always had a soft spot for AFC Wimbledon and it shows what fans of a football club can do if they band together. I think a lot of fans would agree with you there, mate. Uh, and we're being clear, this is AFC Wimbledon we're talking about and not the Wimbledon of old and the crazy gang. As a Liverpool fan, I care less for that team of old. Uh, but no, it does show you what fans can do when they get behind their football club. Um, and I can, you know, you obviously, as a as a as a team up in Wrexham, have have shown equally that you know when a club is is self owned, owned by the community, owned by the fans, then it takes a lot of that individual sort of viewpoint that it's all for profit and that they don't care about the club, and all of those arguments are taken out. 
And therefore, it's about passion and it's about uh, being committed to a cause in a, in a sort of very honest way. Uh, and I think that's what's impressed us about uh, AFC Wimbledon. Um, that, on top of the fact that this has all happened relatively quickly, you know, for them to have gone from uh, non-existence to, you know, a relatively well-established team um, in the middle leagues is is incredible in the amount of time that they that they've done it in so um yeah it just does it does show you what the 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 power of the football fan and and coming together with the football club uh, what that can do Jamie first away match of the season for Wrexham their away form last season was sketchy at best are we expecting the struggles to continue um i wouldn't say we're i'm expecting it um it's difficult isn't it because obviously at this stage of the season you you know there's no there's no, there's no pattern. There's no routine. You, 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 we, we saw at the at the beginning of it. You, you, you can't. Well, you can never predict what's going to happen. But you couldn't even take a, a a solid guess at, you know, how you think it's going to play out. Um, I mean, it's it, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, uh, Wimbledon. They they drew their first game on Saturday against the way to Grimsby nil nil, but then they had a really good result in the in the. Um, uh, in the Carabao Cup on Tuesday or Wednesday, whichever night they played, uh, they beat Coventry. Um, so you know that's a that's a really good re- result for them. Um, I, I think what I'm expecting, um, you, you know, it'll be again very interesting to see what team we put out. Um, but again, all I would hope for is whatever team we put out is that that there's an improvement on Saturday's performance. I'm not expecting us to be. A free, full, free flowing, playing to our max like we know, you know, like we know a lot of our players can do. Because I think from what I've seen in on Saturday and Tuesday, there's a there's a this there's, there's a long way to go before we're, we're going to get to that point. But I think you know we 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 need to try and just just make a little bit of progress. Um, you know, better performance, tighter, you know, tighter defense. Um, less mistakes in midfield, less giving the ball away, increase our intensity, increase our pressing uh, and hopefully try and bang, you know, you know, bang a couple of goals in uh, as well. Daz, AFC Wimbledon had a poor 2022-2023 season, but have made some significant signings in the summer. Yet no one seems to fancy them for promotion. Do, do you think they're a bit of a dark horse? I think you're right. There've been a lot of signings, but uh, I think a lot of the signings have come around the same level. You know, from a, the sort of around the same division, teams up or down. I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I'm not sure if they've got the landmark signings uh, that would make you think that they um, are putting themselves right out there in, in contention for promotion. Um, but uh, again, you know, a team that's managed to surprise uh, many a pundit and many a fan uh, in the past, uh, you know, who, who's to say that they couldn't uh, string a whole. Um, you know, a, a promotion push with push with a few good results. Um, dark horse, yeah, I would say uh, I don't. I don't think they're, they're an obvious and out and out uh, candidate. Um, but I certainly don't see them struggling either. So I think uh, you know, games will be challenging. That's to be said. Jamie, a fair few Wrexham players don't seem to be firing on all cylinders come the start of the season. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but do you think there's a kind of a primary reason for this? Um, I don't think you can. I don't think you can put it down to, to to one thing, but I think that the headline is like we talked about before. It the 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 what what it appears is that the 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 
the football element of our pre-season wasn't good enough basically and and it it looks to me you know it looked to me certainly on saturday is that we we've started the season um not in the right place so i you know i think it's going to take us a few games to to to, to iron out these these issues um and and get to to a level where we need to be so time for the salt vinegar and sauce core jamie what's your prediction for afc wimbledon versus wrexham um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same score prediction as I made for last Saturday, which I was hopelessly wrong with. So I'm gonna say two one to Wrexham. Um, you know I, I'm not you know I'm not gonna go through the whole season and predict the Wrexham win every week because because as much as my you know uh, as much as I'd love to, to to do that, I'm trying to be you know I'm, I'm trying to look at at, at you know, I'm going to try and look at these games and try and give a fair prediction based on what happened previously versus what I think is to come. Um, but but I do think um, I do think from obviously what I saw Saturday, what I then saw on Tuesday, the players that I think he's likely to go with on Saturday, and with you know the situation you know with with Wimbledon, the, the team that they're in, I, I I do think it's a game we can win. But I think it, again it'll be close, so I'm going to say a two-one to Wrexham. And Daz, what's your prediction for AFC Wimbledon versus Wrexham? I'm predicting uh, AFC Wimbledon 2, Wrexham 3, based on the fact that I think a high-scoring game is potentially on the cards, just from the experiences of recent games. Uh, And I know this is uh, an away game for Wrexham. I just think they have the potential to score one more than Wimbledon. So um, I think that's, that's my basis for it. So we'll see if that comes true. And I'm predicting AFC Wimbledon 1, Wrexham 2. There will be some reaction to the games this week, and I think them being away for the first time this season will energise them. I think it'll be a messy game, but Palmer being against his old club, and apparently he is a fan of Wimbledon, that will be a kind of a, a, an extra impetus for him. So we, I think we'll just about scrape through. So let's wrap those chips to keep them warm. Second fry on, and into the fryer next, it's Warsaw. Warsaw were formed in 1888 as Warsaw Town Swifts FC with the amalgamation of two clubs and have a long and illustrious history. Present in the Football League since 1921, they have hovered pretty much between the third and fourth tier of the EFL since then, bar a couple of brief visits to the second tier. Honours include division champions in 1960 and 2007, Football League trophy runners-up in 2015 and the League Cup semi-final appearance in 1984. Last season, Warsaw came 16th in League 2 with 12 wins, 19 draws and 15 losses, a goal difference of minus 3 and 55 points. Managed by Matt Sadler since April this year after ex-Newport County boss Michael Flynn was sacked, Warsaw had a major clear-out at the end of last season with 11 players being released. Over the summer, they've signed midfielder Ryan Sturk from Birmingham City, defender Chris Hussey from Stockport County, Priestley Farkerson from Newport County, strikers Douglas James Taylor from Stoke City and Danny Johnson from Mansfield Town, defender Harry Williams from Alvechurch, goalkeeper Jackson Smith from Wolves, striker Amandi Ote from Crawley Town, and with Freddie Draper and Ross Tierney on season-long loans from Lincoln City and Motherwell, respectively. Due to both clubs being so old, Wrexham and Walsall have played each other a remarkable 66 times. Wrexham winning 28, drawing 16 and losing 22. Last time they met was in 2007 when Wrexham lost 1-0. 
Well-known Wrexham born, of course, is Dean Keats, who played for Walsall between 1995 and 2002 and 2006-2007, then played and captained for Wrexham between 2010 and 2015, then managed Wrexham between 2016 and 2018, before managing Walsall 2018-2019 and returning to Wrexham to manage between 2019 and 2021. Now, Warsaw started the season with a 2-1 loss to Morecambe and a 4-3 loss away at Blackburn Rovers in the Carabao Cup. Warsaw are 50-1 to win the league outright, 12-1 to get promoted and 8-1 to get relegated. And the chips are done. Jamie, Warsaw are one of those clubs that just sort of are always been there, never doing anything spectacular, almost just making up the numbers. We have a long history against Walsall, in fact, and I, I, and I was told that my first ever Exa match was as a four-year-old versus Walsall in 1973, where we won 2-0. I don't remember it, of course, but apparently that's the case. Do you mean 1873? <laughs> Funny. Is it difficult to get excited about such an opponent as Walsall? No, it's not excited. It's not difficult to get excited because this game is taking place on what date? Your birthday. The 15th of August, which happens to be my birthday. I almost forgot. I'll have to go through the embarrassing pictures album. I'll have to get it out. Yeah, yeah, Carl, I can't can't wait. Yeah, so if if any of our loyal listeners would like to uh, buy me a pint before the game, uh, just uh, let me know and I'll uh, I'll happily happily take it. At least prostitutes wait, to be asked. My goodness me. (laughs) Um, No, so yeah, great. Um, You know, I've got... um, me and the missus are going uh going to the game which is great i couldn't think of a better way to to spend my birthday um unless we get tonk five mil in which case i won't ever want to remember it again um yeah like you say uh warsaw you you're right that they're 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 a bit of a they're a beige buffet of a team aren't they you know they're just just meh uh, you know, I, 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 and I guess, I guess you have to tip your hat off to them. You know, they've they've managed to to um, you know stay you know stay hovering in the football league and and, and be a constant. Um, but I, I, I'm, you know, I suppose it's going to depend on what happens on Saturday first. But you know, I'm I'm hoping for to 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 really see us start to pick up some momentum. You know, again another game under the the, the new massive floodlights. Um, full house, it'll be again. Um, you know the atmospheres are, 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 are great. I mean, it, it dropped a little bit on Saturday on the MK Dons game, but you know for a big part of the day, the game it was it was great atmospheres. The atmospheres are, are good, um, and yeah, I'd like to think that that we're going to have more than enough, certainly at home, to 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 to, to beat Warsaw. Um, and, and like I say, if all else fails, I'll just drink copious amounts of uh, beer, and then I won't be able to see. Daz, Wrexham will need to start turning it on after the disappointing start last Saturday. Is this the kind of game to do that with? I think we've already learned already this season that there aren't going to be any easy games. So whether or not this is the game to do, get that, you know, turn it around, um, you'd like to think so. That that would be the suggestion from, from the stats. Um, but um, I think we're just going to have to appreciate that this, this division is is a tougher one and and you know the team have got to sort of step it up a bit um but uh yeah you know uh i think also is probably the team that they would probably have looked forward to seeing next after after the early disappointments jamie walsall have made a few signings over the summer in fact quite a few signings over the summer and have a relatively new manager at home is this going to be fairly easy or could this be another difficult home tie do you think i i don't think 
I don't think after you know after what we saw on Saturday uh, against um, MK Dons, I don't think you can say certainly not at this point of the season. I don't think you can say anything. Any game is going to be easy in this league. I think you know Saturday was a was a good reminder of the step that we made now going back into the football league. Um, you know, you know they they obviously they lost they lost their first game of the season uh, away to to I think it was Morecambe. They lost two one. And then they lost uh, to to Blackburn in the uh, in the EFL Cup, so you know they're they're without out without a win um, so far. Um, I wouldn't say easy. I think that would be borderline sort of disrespectful to say it it, 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 it will be easy because I don't believe uh, you know even as the season unravels and we start to see who's going to be at the top and towards the top and who's going to be towards the bottom, I don't believe that. Um, uh, any game will be easy this season, so uh, easy no, but uh, am I expecting a win? Yes. So time for the salt, vinegar, and sauce Koch. Jamie, what's your score prediction for Wrexham versus Walsall? I'm gonna say three nil to Wrexham. Daz, what's your score prediction for Wrexham versus Walsall? All depends on that clean sheet or not. If uh, if Wrexham can keep Walsall out then I think it could be 1-2. Uh, let's go for 2-0. Two 2-0 nil. Two nil to Wrexham. They've just got to keep an eye on that defence, though. He's to get a supercomputer going. Beep, 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 And I'm predicting Wrexham 3, Walsall 1. I think Wrexham will be bedding in nicely at home and won't find too much opposition against Walsall. They'll need to be careful, I think, but should have enough to do the job. So let's wrap those chips to keep them warm. And last week's predictions, as you rightly said, Jamie, were fairly poor. None of us predicted the 5-3 loss versus MK Dons, but Daz did predict a draw uh, in the Carabao Cup with Wrexham win on penalties versus Wigan. So Alison Wonderland head at the top of the league uh, with the other two teams on zero points uh, uh, in second and third. And the chip shop will be open for business again next week. And so we end the pod with a flourish, like a doped-up Russian gymnast. This has been the Eat More Chips podcast, the official podcast of one of the greatest Welsh football supporters' flags ever seen. He's been Wales supporter, Liverpool fan and ghost in the machine, Daz? From one cop to another, uh, this is me signing off and uh, I hope you have a good couple of weeks, guys. And he's been Wales supporter, Wrexham nut and best Tina Turner drag act in the Chester area, Jamie? We're simply the best. <laughs> if you have enjoyed listening to us, please support the podcast, like, subscribe and leave a comment. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. You can also go onto our social media, such as Twitter, at Tweet More Chips, Threads, search Eat More Chips Podcast, or drop us an email, eatmorechipspodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Instagram, Eat More Chips Podcast, and on Facebook, search for the Eat More Chips Podcast group. You can leave us a review if the platform you're listening on lets you do that. And if you have anything particularly you'd like us to discuss, not you, Simon Cook, please feel free to drop us a line. I've been Wales supporter, Wrexham till I die, and traveller from another dimension Welsh techie. So, until next time, come on Cymru and come on the town. <laughs>